Hey everyone, Matt Straub here, welcoming you to the Roto World Baseball Podcast. The final week of the 2019 regular season is upon us, and this will be the last Tuesday episode of the season. DJ Short and Drew Civil will be back with one more episode to close things out on Friday. Meanwhile, today, we're going to be looking at 10 of the biggest surprises of the season and what to expect from each player as we head toward next year. We're going to hit five pitchers and five hitters here. And again, just to be clear, we are talking surprises. So as spectacular as guys like Christian Yelich and Cody Bellinger were, or even Ronald Acuna Jr. making a push for a 40-40 season, those are not falling under the category of surprise for this episode. So Chris Crawford is with me. Chris, we begin with Cattell Marte of the Diamondbacks. Finished out his year with a 329 average, 32 homers, 92 RBIs, 97 runs, 10 steals. And that's coming off a year last year where he hit 260 with 14 homers, 59 RBIs and six steals. He's 25 years old, about to turn 26, out with the stress reaction in his back for the remainder of this year. What do you make of this breakout? I mean, we saw so many guys boost their power totals. Are you a big believer in this talent and and maybe him becoming a fantasy stalwart for years to come? So I think it's certainly possible. I think it's kind of a yes and no thing because the talent is clearly there. Let's remember he was a top prospect for the Mariners. He was a guy that uh, they really didn't want to move, to be completely honest. Is But a trade that has worked out, I think, for both teams with uh, Mitch Hanniger when he's healthy, performing well, and then Taiwan Walker could be something, hopefully, if he can get healthy. But my question with Marte is whether he could do it consistently because – What we saw from him in his rookie year was he immediately followed that with a disappointing year. It seems like he's got a little bit of a Brett Saberhagen thing going on, not to age myself too much. But it's one of those things where I just don't know if – and it's silly because he he is so young and the talent. I'm definitely not expecting this kind of power again from him. I just – I think that because of some changes to the baseball I think are going to be made and because he just doesn't have – that type of build that I I can't imagine that he's going to put up these kind of power numbers again, but he doesn't have to to be fantasy relevant. I think he's a guy I would struggle to invest too early in, but at the same time, it's certainly possible that this is at least somewhat of a version we're going to get from him going forward because of his age. And again, because of his pedigree, this was a former top prospect and man, anybody who invested in him has to be really happy with what they got, even with the year ending at the injury. I, I should clarify, I'm not trying to troll you by starting this out with Tom Marte, <laughs> uh, former Mariners prospect who had a monster year. Sure you're not. Uh, that was not my intent. Uh, all right. Uh, next name on our list, next of our five hitters we're going to hit. DJ LeMayhew, Chris, apparently had to leave Colorado to find his power stroke. Uh, he has hit 329, 26 home runs, 99 RBIs, 108 runs scored. The 31-year-old had never hit more than 15 homers in a season prior to this year and had never driven in more than 66 runs. Again, he's at 26 homers, 99 RBIs right now. What do you make of this in the year of the bouncy baseball? So the bouncy baseball has certainly helped him. But let's also keep in mind that he's playing in a very homer-friendly park. And I I know Coors Field is as homer-friendly, if not more. Pitcher's haven. Pitcher's haven, Coors Field. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So that's the thing is that – I'm not sure, again, kind of like with Marte, if he's ever going to put up these kind of power numbers again, but he can hit for average. I mean, this is a guy who was in that 320, 330 range a couple times for Colorado, if I'm remembering right. If not, for sure, pretty close to that range. 
had one really bad year with some bad batting average balls and play luck last year. And it's bad. You can't see me, but I'm putting up my quotation marks. Just not as fantasy significant as he normally has been. But this is a guy who can hit. I mean, I have issues with his defense, but this is fantasy. So we don't really care about those. Um, He is a guy who can make hard contact to all parts of the field. Going to get a chance, even if they make the baseball as uh, soft or hard or whatever they need to do to make it uh, not go as far. He's still going to get into that jet stream because he can go to the opposite way in Yankee Stadium because you have to assume that the Yankees want to bring this back, especially with all the injuries they had. Adding more depth is something I think that they want to add for sure. But I'm kind of a believer. Now, I wouldn't go crazy in investing too much because I do think that the power numbers are going to go down. But the other thing I think you need to keep in mind is I'm a big believer in at least for especially in fantasy, that lineup protection means a lot because I don't want to put DJ LeMahieu on with Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. I, I'm going to call him that forever. Um, I, I just can't I can't imagine that he's not going to get a ton of pitches to hit as long as he stays the Yankees. This is way too long to spend on him. But yes, I do think that DJ LeMahieu is at least going to be fantasy relevant next year. And there's the possibility that this is for legit. It's certainly possible with what we saw in Colorado. We're actually ripping up the format. We're talking about LeMahieu the rest of the way here <laughs> okay. today. Uh, deep dive starting now. Uh, speaking to the batting average point you made, he did hit 348 in 2016. And right. He is a career 302 hitter. So yeah, that point is well taken. All right, number three on our list of hitters. So we knew Pete Alonso was was going to be something of a beast, but I don't know that we 50 home runs knew he was going to be a beast. So he has hit 264 50 bombs, 115 RBIs and 98 runs scored. I mean, you know, is like I'm just trying to process this, you know, keeping in mind that we are dealing with a very lively baseball. What do you expect from Alonso in the future? Is this suddenly his his baseline is he going to be a perennial, you know, 45 homer guy in the major leagues? Is that your expectation? You know, it could be. I mean, this this guy's power, I mean, it doesn't matter what baseball this guy's hitting. He's going to hit for power. I mean, he is so strong, and he makes so much hard contact to all parts of the field that unless he starts playing in, like, 30 old Detroit Tiger stadiums, he is going to hit a ton of homers. He is just one of the strongest prospects that I've ever covered, to be honest. I mean... The ball just jumps off his bat. Now, my question is going to be is how much are pitchers going to start pitching around this guy? Um, We've seen him make a lot of hard contact and hit homers on pitches that are out of the strike zone. So it may not matter a little bit. But I do have some questions about whether or not he's going to hit for a high enough average to become that superstar prospect or that superstar player. Excuse me, because. The 264, I mean, that's that's not abhorrent, but I would like to see it a little higher before calling him one of the elite first basemen for fantasy implications anyway. You're still going to get the 40 homers. Assuming the Mets don't met, you should get those 100 to 110 RBI seasons. But I would like to see the average go up. The nice thing is, is he's at least shown a decent amount of patience. I'd like to see a few more walks just because I, I love walks and playing a lot of on-base leagues. But I do think that there's no reason to think that this is going to be a one-and-done situation. This is not <laughs> – I immediately thought of Bob Hamlin for some reason. This is not that. This is not going to be a guy who is a one-and-done type uh, player. I really think Pete Alonso has a chance to be a – to use your word, a stalwart for a very long time. 
not quite as old school uh, callback as Saberhagen, Bob Hamlin. Uh, <laughs> I have Kansas still. City on my mind, I guess. I'm sorry. Uh, all right. Well, I don't feel like we can talk about surprises, fantasy surprises from this season without mentioning the name Jorge Soler. He had hit 38 home runs combined across parts of five seasons in the big leagues heading into this year. He has flat out exploded <laughs> with 45 home runs, 112 RBIs this year. Obviously, there was always some thunder in Soler's bat. Sure. So... Given what we've seen this year, do you think Jorge Soler, 260-ish hitter and 30-plus home run guy, is here to stay? Or do you feel like uh, we're looking at just a spectacular uh, kind of fluke type of year? I think the rates are going to be there. Now, the question is, is can he stay healthy? Because that's been an issue since he was in Chicago, is whether or not he can stay on the field enough to do it. And if he can, I think the sky's the limit in terms of potential. This guy can flat-out hit. And the ball of like Pete, it's fun talking about him right after Alonzo, because these are two guys that the ball, it just sounds different coming off their bat. These guys have just enormous power. And I really think that he's a guy as well who is going to, it doesn't matter if they make changes to the ball. He's a guy who is going to provide 30 to 40 home run rates. My question again, though, is whether or not he'll be able to stay healthy. If he can, the sky's the limit. But even if not, he's a guy that I think you have to target at least relatively early because when he's on the field, he's going to help. So that's four hitters down, one hitter to go. This last spot was a tough choice. Obviously, a ton of players had big-time breakout or bounce-back seasons, just a few that came to mind. Josh Bell, Trey Mancini, Marcus Simeon, Jonathan Villar with 23 home runs and 38 steals. But I want to talk about a big-name prospect, since you are the Roto World prospects guru, who really broke out this season, Austin Meadows. A 289 average, 32 home runs, 88 RBIs, 12 stolen bases in just 133 games. And that kind of points toward maybe the biggest concern with Meadows, which is health. But do you think, you know, all things considered, there's potential for us to see even more from Meadows next season? Like, could this be just kind of the first step toward him, you know, emerging as a true fantasy stud? Or do you feel like this is closer to kind of the peak of what he can accomplish? I think we're kind of close to peak. And that's definitely not an insult because... Those numbers you just gave out are excellent. He is a really good baseball player. My issue, again, with him is same with Soler and the same a little bit with uh, Marte is whether or not he can stay healthy because this is a guy who has battled health issues since the minor league days. Uh, an extremely talented player, a guy who, for some inexplicable reason, fell to the middle of the first round out of a high school in Atlanta, but a really, really good baseball player who can do a little bit of everything, and we've seen that. I don't think we're going to see this kind of power again from him, but I think he might make it up. I think he's a guy who might run a little bit more. I, I do think that with his speed, he could be a real asset there. But again, the question is whether or not he can stay healthy. And that's why I would have a little bit more reservation with him with some of these other names. But at the same time, I would say his upside competes with anybody but Alonzo. So, so it's real, <laughs> but I don't think that you should expect a, another step forward I just don't think he has quite that ability, but he is a guy who can help you. But again, can he stay healthy? All right, so that's five hitters. We now have five surprise pitchers we're going to hit. Uh, and the same caveat supply here. So as mesmerizing as Garrett Cole has been with his 300 strikeout campaign and as amazing as Justin Verlander's longevity <laughs> is, we're not going to be focusing on you know big-name established stars. We're talking about some guys who broke out or bounced back in a major way to surprise us. And we'll start, Chris, with Shane Bieber, 
who has 15 wins, a 323 ERA, 1.03 whip, and 252 strikeouts, tweeting back and forth with Justin Bieber all around (laughs) just a spectacular season for the 24-year-old. And last year, you know, it's worth noting, he had more than a strikeout printing, but a 4.55 ERA. So given everything, do you trust this version of Bieber as kind of the blueprint going forward? And do you think we're potentially looking at a fantasy ace for years to come here? I do. I I think that one of the things that... Bieber figured out really quick. It's so weird saying that name. Uh, But it's one of the things he figured out. So this was a guy who was calling him a command artist is an understatement. I mean, he just flat out didn't walk people. Uh, That's back to UC Santa Barbara and then in the minors and then when he got called up. But one of the things I think he figured out is it's sort of tough to put into words, but that sometimes not throwing the strike is a good thing. And what I think has really happened is he still has the same command but he's he's less fine with his arsenal, and this arsenal is good. And Cleveland has done such a good job of getting the best out of these type of arms. I mean, Mike Clevenger was a nice arm, but he, he, the improvement he made through Cleveland, and it, this, I think the same thing could be said about Bauer, and I think the same thing could be said about Kluber. This is a guy who had stuff that suggested 3-4 when he was first drafted out of college, now he's getting that one-two area, and I really think it's going to last because of his ability to throw strikes, because he trusts his stuff more. The fact that he's going to walk a few more hitters, and it's not like he's putting a lot of guys on, but the, the he's really figured out that thing that could be really tough for pitchers to figure out that you don't have to be super fine with your stuff. You just have to be willing to trust it and be willing to put it on those corners, and he's done as good a job as that as anybody this year. By the way, you mentioned Clevenger. He was really on his way to something spectacular before that back injury. For sure. His first 12 innings, he had allowed two hits with 22 strikeouts, no earned runs before that back injury derailed him for more than two months. Right. So he's had a good season when he's been out there. But, man, he was yeah. he was on the verge of something pretty special. Uh, all right, next up on this list of surprise pitchers, and I think you could argue he should be at the top of this list, is Lucas Giolito. He started out hot this season, and I think we were all thinking this can't possibly last. However, it's now the end of September, and he has 14 wins, a 341 ERA, 1.06 whip, 228 strikeouts in just 176 and two-thirds innings. His season is over as he's been shut down with a lat strain. So obviously, Chris, this is a guy who had a great pedigree as a prospect, right. uh, but then struggled. Are you optimistic that he's finally figured things out and and this will kind of prove to be more than just a one-off success for Giolito? Yeah, I am. It's he's hit. I'll I'll be honest, he's one of my favorite pitchers and people in baseball, so I may be uh overly optimistic here, but I'm a big fan. And I what I'm a big fan of too is the adjustments that he's made because he in high school this was a guy who was showing on the 2080 scouting scale, 80 fastball, 80 curveball and occasionally a 70 change. I can't think of a high school pitcher, honestly, that I've seen better stuff from. Went through some stuff with injuries, and I think also lost a little bit of that, the secondary stuff, and then the the velocity went down and kind of had to make an adjustment about how he was going to go about being the same dominant pitcher. And no, he's not going to be the Josh Beckett times two that so many people thought he was going to be. But he's going to be a really nice pitcher, and I think... He's another guy. What I liked is he was so dominant, and then he went through a little bit of a rough patch and was still able to come back and finish strong before the injury. And I think that's really critical for going forward, that he ended the year, even if the injury ended the year. I think he's had just enough success to be a confident hurler going into next year. I wouldn't be surprised if he was one of the best pitchers in baseball in a couple of years. Right now, he's a pretty darn good one. But yeah, I do believe that this was 
the building point to something special for Giolito. Giolito is a really good example of an idea that we've talked about a few times on this podcast throughout the year. You know, sometimes you need to put aside what you think you know or what you believe about a player and just buy into the early season numbers. You know, I, I almost believe in having like one roster spot where you do that. I think Nate Grimm and I were talking about this a few weeks ago where just like, just go after the hot streak early on. Chase a guy who's off to a strong start because there are times like this where it really is the sign of a breakout. Absolutely. So, if that makes sense. Absolutely does. Yeah, that, that's well said, sir. All right. Sonny Gray had a 490 ERA and 1.50 whip for the Yankees last year. So there were not exactly soaring expectations for him as he headed into 2019 with the Reds. However, he has 11 wins, a 2.80 ERA, 1.09 whip, and 199 strikeouts in 173rd and one-third innings. So the truth is with Gray, other than that one season with the Yankees, he's been a pretty good ERA and whip guy. Sure. Um, so are you, Chris, buying the whole package here, including the elevated strikeout totals? That 199 represent a career high for Sonny Gray. Yeah, I mean, like you said, this was a guy who I think everybody soured on a, a, kind of too quickly. He was pitching in a very difficult park, and I don't think he ever really got comfortable being a part of that Yankee team. Clearly felt more comfortable, uh, although uh, first year in a league is is one of those things that uh, can sometimes give pitchers trouble. It certainly didn't give him trouble. The stuff's really good, and he is a guy who, as long as he can stay on the mound and stay healthy, I think he's one of the better pitchers in the National League. I'm a huge believer in uh, what Gray's done. It's been really fun to watch him succeed again because he was one of my favorite pitchers in Oakland, and even going back to Vanderbilt, he was a guy that uh, – I've always really enjoyed watching his stuff. I think he's a guy who, you know, I do worry a little bit about maybe ha having some regression in terms of homer luck, but not enough to be not target him. I think he's going to be one of the better pitchers that I would target early for, the at least in, especially in NL only leagues. But I do believe that what we're seeing from Sonny Gray is much closer to the real version of him than what we saw with the Yankees. All right, Mike Soroka for the Braves, 22 years old, has had a breakout season of his own, 13 wins, a 2.60 ERA, 1.09 whip, uh, has really looked dominant at times with his kind of power sinker, etc. But I will say it feels like he is going to be a guy who's slightly more valuable in real life than in fantasy because he pitches to contact so much, just 135 strikeouts in 169 and two-thirds innings. Do you agree with that assessment, Chris? And what do you make of Soroka overall? I think that's a really good call. And it's, you know, it's kind of funny hearing 135 and 169 isn't a ton of strikeouts, but this is the way baseball is going now is that you really are right. looking for those guys who are uh, getting that strikeout per inning. I think he is exactly a, a better real life pitcher than a fantasy one, but I still think there's going to be some fantasy value there because he's going to help that whip because he throws so many strikes. It's very difficult to hit get hard contact on him because he has so much movement on his pitches. So yes, I don't think he's ever going to be that fantasy ace. I would honestly say that the three guys we named above him, Bieber is probably close to the same thing, but I would say they have a little bit more upside, but I think Soroka has the highest floor with one caveat. And that is the fact that he dealt with a shoulder injury always scares me because these are the toughest injuries for pitchers to come back from. Elbows, you know, Tommy John is at 100%, but it's a very high rate of them coming back strong. Same with forearm strains, same with wrist injuries. Shoulders are a little difficult, and so I will always be have that in the back of my mind with Soroka or any pitcher that has a shoulder injury. But while he's on the mound, he's an excellent fantasy pitcher. Just probably not an elite one, and I wouldn't expect that big next step up unless he really does start pitching away from contact, which... 
you just you you can't predict those type of things. But yes, I would absolutely believe in Soroka for 2020 and beyond. Just be cognizant of the missed bats and also of the shoulder injury. All right. We have hit nine names now. The tenth name, with apologies to his Rangers teammate Mike Miner and a host of <laughs> others who had strong seasons. I do not think we can complete this conversation without discussing one Lance Lynn. <laughs> he has 15 wins, a 3.76 ERA, 1.25 WHIP, 236 strikeouts in 201 innings for Texas. Just a profound Renaissance season at age 32. And this after he posted a 4.77 ERA and 1.53 WHIP a year ago. So this is a guy who legitimately was off the fantasy radar pretty much. Yeah. Um, with all that in mind, do you buy this edition of Lynn for 2020? Kind of. I certainly don't <laughs> expect him to be as good with uh, missing bats. I just, Lance Lynn has always been a pitcher who, I mean, he's not going to remind you of the old days where they were just completely pitching to contact, but he's he's never been exactly a uh, a strikeout artist. And I can't imagine that he's going to put up these kind of numbers again, but he doesn't have to be to be fantasy relevant because... In this day, if you can get that strikeout per inning from your starter, and you know he's going to give you those six-inning, two-run starts. He's been a guy outside of last year who's been just been able to give you a ton of quality starts. He battles hard. This year, he's gotten the results. Unfortunately, he's had starts that he had these with the Cardinals as well, where he would just have some really awful number starts that put away, put the made the numbers skewed. But I do believe in Lance Lynn. I just don't think he can be this same kind of pitcher going forward. Some of that has to do with age. The other guys we were all talking about are young guns type of guys. Lance Ling is not a spring chicken. I would target him, but I would definitely be cognizant of the fact that there could be huge regression there. Last year was not exactly a friendly year for him. I think he's somewhere in between those two years. Yeah, he's been close to a strikeout per inning guy throughout his career, just under strikeout per inning for his career. So but yeah, these numbers have been extra, extra spicy in that department. Extra so. spicy is a good way to put it. <laughs> All right. That is about it for us. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and take a second to rate and review as well if you would. If you want to follow us on Twitter, he is at Crawford underscore M-I-L-B. I am at Matt Straub. As I said, this is the last Tuesday episode of the season. DJ and Drew will be back to wrap things up on Friday, so look out for that. Thank you everyone for listening throughout the year. Chris, thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Talk to you later. Talk to you guys later.